It's good to come into the house of the Lord. Because every time we come, God has something good for us. Gloria wants to fix me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And as the dear ones who have just stood, including myself, as we've just said, we're here to serve. Because Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are all here to serve. We serve a true and living God. And it is a privilege to serve. It's not something that the world considers as a great honour. Servants are usually at the bottom of the pecking order. But in the kingdom of God, those who serve are those who God has called to himself, to a great honour. So let us serve acceptably and with reverence. And as we do that, God will make us to grow, we will prosper, and we will expand. And God's work in this place will be extended. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. It's also a privilege to receive and hear the word of God. Because every time we receive the word of God, God has something good to say to us. So this morning, as the word goes forth, please be open and receptive to hear what God has to say. (coughs) Before I begin, with regard to what I've just said, who can tell me what the subject of last week's sermon was? So that I can understand that we are receiving the word of God. Love, accept and honour everyone as they are. Well done. Gold star. We learnt many things, but as Jazz has said, that's what I've written down here. That was the thing that came most forcefully to me. To love, accept, and honour everyone just as they are. And if we do that, our lives will be transformed. The life of our church will be transformed. The community in which we are will be transformed. And the society of which we are members will be transformed if we love, accept and honour each other just as we are. Amen. Amen. The topic, the subject of my sermon has some relevance to what Paul spoke about last week about accepting each other just as we are. I'm going to look at a few themes from a familiar scripture. Most of us will be familiar with the story that I'm going to look at. But I believe that every time God speaks to us, he either has something new to say to us, or he wants to remind us of something that he's already said. So be open. The passage may be familiar, but God is speaking. Hear the voice of the Lord. We're going to look at John 4. Many people know it as the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well. She's a very important woman and we're going to find out her significance and the significance of what Jesus says to the woman and to the people of Samaria. Let's turn to John 4. Obviously I'm not going to read it through at all, it will take quite a while, but I'm going to pick certain portions so that we may see what God wants to say to us today. Let's begin. If I have time, I'm going to have a look at three different aspects of the story. First of all, let's begin at the beginning. Always a good place to begin. First one. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus is ministering in Judea. And because of a certain situation, he decides that he's going to go back to Galilee. Verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So why did he have to go through Samaria? Well, geographically speaking, Samaria lay between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. So the shortest route from Judea to Galilee was through Samaria. But that wasn't really the reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because many Jews on their journey from Judea to Galilee didn't go through Samaria. They took a detour around Samaria. They went east of the Jordan through Perea up to Galilee. So it was, it was possible to get to Galilee from Judea without going through Samaria. So it wasn't because it was a geographical necessity that Jesus went through Samaria, that he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because he had a mission to Samaria. It was a spiritual imperative that he went through Samaria. He had a purpose in going through Samaria. You see, to pious Jews, the Samaritans were a reproach. They were despised. The Jews, many Jews, didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. So they avoided the Samaritans and they avoided Samaria. That's why Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan was so unique. To many Jews, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. Jesus made the hero of that story a Samaritan because he wanted to provoke them to think and to appreciate something. Jesus wanted to show that we should not knock down on others because of who they are, because of their religion, because of their ethnicity, because of their racial profile. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans because the Samaritans were from mixed parentage. They're of mixed race. They're a mixture of Jews and other peoples. They also had a mixed religion. They recognised the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, but no other books in the Old Testament. They'd mixed their religion with other religions. So the Jews looked down on them because they weren't pure. They were different. So they were despised and rejected by the Jews. And there's a lesson there for all of us. Not to look down on others because of their ethnicity, their religion, their race. And as Christians, sometimes we do that. We look down on other people because they're not like us. And quite often I hear Christians speaking negatively about other people, especially Muslims. Sometimes you hear Christians speaking negatively about Muslims. And I want to say today, to you as Christians, that all Muslims are our prospective brothers and sisters in Christ. All peoples, in fact, are our prospective brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's how we should regard people. And we should love, honour and accept people just as they are. And receive them. Because that was Jesus' purpose in going into Samaria. <coughs> he wanted to speak to people who lived on the margins. Who lived out of, outside of society. Who were rejected, 
despised and were reproached. Jesus specifically wanted to go through Samaria. That's why he needed to go to Samaria. He had a message for the people of Samaria. His purpose was to fulfill the will of the Father, to complete the mission of the Father, and he had a message to proclaim from the Father. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And it's the same for all of us. Where Jesus sends us, we must go. Wherever and to whomever, we must go. We must not reject people, despise people, or alienate people because of who they are. Because God calls us to himself so that he might send us out on a mission and with a message. And even if it means going to the Samaritans, we must go. Because God has a purpose and a plan for each of us. Jesus did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So that was his mission. To seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how could you ask me for a drink? And John says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that speaks, sorry, who is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he will have given you living water. So what is this living water that Jesus is offering to the woman? Jesus answered the woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The living water that Jesus gives, that he offers, <coughs> is the Holy Spirit. The gift of of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift of God. He is the gift of God. And it's the gift that brings new life. If you are familiar with the book of John, you will know that this portion regarding Jesus going to Samaria follows chapter 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And through the course of that conversation, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born of water and born of spirit. And Jesus takes that same message that he gave to Nicodemus to the woman of Samaria. He's offered her a new life, a new way of living. New life in the spirit. Jesus said, if you knew it, who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Have you received that gift of living water? Because that gift is offered to you today. Jesus says to you today, he offers you today this gift. Will you receive it? It's yours if you want it. If you knew who it is who asked you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living 
water. The gift of the Spirit brings new life. It re-energizes us and it gives us a new perspective on life. The woman of Samaria had a particular outlook on life. She was a Samaritan. She was rejected from her society. She was an outcast. She came to the well on her own. That tells you something about her. Normally, the women would have come together for protection and for company, but she had to go on her own because she was an outcast. And Jesus left Judea, and before he went to Galilee, he had an appointment <coughs> with this woman, this outcast from society. Of all the people that Jesus could have gone to, to minister to, she was the last person that anyone would have expected. But Jesus came to seek that which was lost. The woman says, verse 11, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water, this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. And eternal life isn't just life forever. Eternal life isn't so much quantity of life. Eternal life is quality of life. It's life of a particular quality. It's the life that God gives. It's the life that God intended for us. This is the gift that he gives. Eternal life. And this life is in God's Son. And it comes in, through, and by his Spirit. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Which water is he referring to? The water from Jacob's well. But what does he really say? He's not really speaking about the water in Jacob's well. The water from Jacob's well represents what man can achieve. What man can provide for himself. That's what the well signifies. It was dug by Jacob so that he could feed and water himself, his family, his flocks and his herds. Jacob's well represents what we can provide for ourselves, what we can achieve. What man is capable of. And Jesus says, this, what you can provide for yourself, what you can achieve for yourself, will never satisfy you. What man can achieve for himself will never satisfy you. Jacob's well is testimony to Jacob's ability, which is always subject to human limitations. Whatever we can do, whatever we can achieve, is subject to limitations. So it can never satisfy. We will always thirst again. Whereas the living water, which is the gift of the Spirit and the gift of eternal life, which is the gift of God, has the capacity to satisfy every longing of every heart and every need of the human heart. The water, the living water that Jesus gives has the capacity to satisfy. Are you dissatisfied with life today? Come and receive that living water. Look at the woman's response. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, she may not have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about, but she knew what Jesus had, she wanted it. She needed it. She knew there was something missing from her life. And whatever Jesus was offering, she knew, I must have it. Are you the same? Do you feel that there's something missing from your life? Are you dissatisfied? Jesus has exactly what you need to be satisfied. 
Come and receive living water. Verse 16. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So Jesus puts his finger on the source of her dissatisfaction. This woman is looking for a man to satisfy her. She's had five husbands, they've gone, and the sixth one she has is not even her husband. I think she got fed up of getting married. It wasn't working. What she was looking for, these men couldn't provide for her. So she was dissatisfied with life. So Jesus left his journey. He made a detour because he came to meet this woman's need. He came to give her what she needed. He came to provide this living water so that she would be satisfied. And as with this woman, so with all of us. This Samaritan woman really represents all of us. Because really, we, all, we are all on the margins. We are all looking for significance. We're all looking for satisfaction. We're all people who are rejected by some. And Jesus comes to us. And he offers the same thing to us. He offers this living water. So what, whatever is the point of your dissatisfaction, Jesus will meet that today. He's a good God, isn't he? He knows exactly what we need. And he's able to supply that to each one of us. So today, come to him to be satisfied. He has living water. He has the gift of eternal life. So let's receive that gift that he has for each of us today. Why be dissatisfied when Jesus can satisfy every need and every longing of your heart? Are you receiving what God is saying to you today? He wants to minister to us by his word. So receive what he's saying today. Verse 19. The woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's interesting, this woman recognises something about Jesus which many people didn't. She knew there was something particular and special about Jesus. She didn't know exactly what, but she said, I can see that you're a prophet. But then she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The Jews and the Samaritans are always at odds. They don't have a point of agreement. The Samaritans worshipped on a mount called Mount Gerizim in Samaria. So this woman says, you worship in Jerusalem, we worship here. In other words, she's saying to Jews, who's right and who's wrong? Are the Jews right or are the Samaritans wrong? But look at Jesus' answer. Jesus says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, worship of God, worship of the Father, is not restricted to one particular place. True, the temple in Jerusalem had been established by God for the Jews to worship. But Jesus says, now the time is coming where neither Samaria is the place to worship nor Jerusalem is the place to worship. Worship comes from the heart, not a particular place. You don't have to be in a particular place to worship God. Worship comes from the heart. We put so many restrictions sometimes on our worship. People say you must worship in this way. We must worship in this place. When you worship, you must do this. When you worship, don't do that. But Jesus says no. Worship comes from the heart. True worship is not constrained by where you are, who you are, and what you do. Jesus says... The Samaritans do not worship what they know. So they worshipped in ignorance. They worshipped a God whom they did not know. When we worship, we must know the one to whom we give our worship. The worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That is true worship. That is worship offered through the Son by the Spirit. True worship is according to the revelation of the Father we receive through the Son and by the Spirit. Worship is the appropriate response to the revelation of God. Worship is spontaneous. I don't plan to worship. I don't Manufacture worship, I don't construct worship. Worship is a response to God. When God is revealed to me, when I see who he is, I worship. I cannot be forced to worship, and you can't stop me from worshipping. When I see God, I must worship. That's why heaven is a place of worship, because God's presence is continually there. And when people are in the presence of God, they must worship. So I never try to force people to worship because worship must come from the heart. If you do not worship spontaneously, then you cannot worship. You have to see God. You have to know God. You have to understand who he is to worship. So as we continue, let's be sure that we, as we receive the revelation of the Father that we worship because the Father is looking for true worshippers. True work worshippers recognise who God is. They live in right relationship to him and with him. They worship with the right attitude in humility and in adoration. They are open and ready to re both receive from him and to be ministered to by him. When we worship, it's not just us ministering to God. In our worship, he ministers to us. Because as we worship, we're open to receive from him. It's a privilege to be able to worship God. Many people don't understand what it is to worship God. So since we have the opportunity, let's worship God acceptively. Those who worship God are receptive to his voice. Jesus says, God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth, according to the revelation that we've received through the Son. And we worship in spirit. It's our spirit that worships God. Not our body, not our soul. Our spirit worships God. Because he is spirit. That is true worship. Do you see how wonderful it is to be able to worship God? It's a privilege and an honour. 
It's not something that we force upon each other. It's something that we receive by faith and we express through our lips. The Father seeks true worshippers to worship in spirit and in truth. And I was reminded of something that Paul mentioned when he spoke earlier at an earlier time. He said that the Father isn't looking for worship, he's looking for worshippers. God is not in need of our worship. He doesn't have to be built up to feel good about himself. He's not vain. He's not, not looking to be worshipped. He's looking for worshippers. He accepts our worship, but really he's not looking for worship. More than that, he's looking for worshippers. Because he's looking for people who understand who he is. He's looking for people who respond to who he is. He's looking for people who are open to him. Who have a revelation of who he is. That's why he's looking for worshippers. Isn't it interesting? In the Bible, you don't find God looking for many things. He's not God, you don't find God searching for things in the Bible. He's self-sufficient. He has everything that he needs. God is in need of nothing. But he's looking for true worshippers. Isn't it interesting? Will you be a true worshipper? Are you the sort of person that God is looking for? Be that person. Be that true worshipper. Because God looks for you. God says, if you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. And one way of seeking him with all of your heart is through worship. And as you worship God, you will find him. Do you want to find God? If you do, find him in worship. Because the Father is seeking true worshippers. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I guess most of you will understand the word Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word meaning the anointed one. And the word Christ is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. The Messiah is God's anointed. Jesus is the Messiah because he is God's anointed. He has been chosen and appointed by God and sent out by God with a message and a ministry. And by God's grace, each of us have also been anointed by God. Each of us has been chosen by God and appointed because God has given to each of us a message and a ministry. So hopefully each of us has received that anointing so that we may go out into the world with God's message and to minister on his behalf. And this woman is introduced by Jesus to the Messiah. Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals his identity to this woman. He discloses who he is. Jesus makes himself known to this Samaritan woman. And I think that's marvellous. This Samaritan, we always call her the Samaritan woman. 
We don't even know her name. Who is she? The woman of Samaria, who Jesus happened to meet at a well. But to this woman, Jesus discloses who he is. There were many in Israel who didn't recognise who Jesus was. To some, he was the carpenter. To others, he was the son of Joseph. But to this woman, Jesus reveals who he is. And as to this woman, so to each of us. Many people may not know who we are. We may not have a name. We may not be significant to this world and in this world. But to each of us, Jesus reveals who he is. He comes to each of us and says, I am he. Jesus makes himself known to each of us. <coughs> Listen to what Jesus says of the Jews in John 5.39. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus said, or it was said of Jesus, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Jesus came to the Jews, but he was rejected. He comes to the Samaritan woman, and she receives his message. She may not have understood everything that he said, but he, she received what he was saying to her. How do I know that? Look at her reaction, her response. Verse 28. After the disciples had returned to Jesus, this is what the Samaritan woman did. She said, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made, they, made their way towards him. Whenever I read that part, come see a man, I always think it sounds a bit Caribbean. Come see a man. But she went out with the message to her people. Could this be the Christ? She received what Jesus was saying. And she went back to her people. Though she had been rejected by her people, though she was an outcast and lived on the margins, she took the message to the people. She didn't say, oh, those people don't like me, they haven't been good to me. I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. I'm staying here. This is wonderful. She went back to her people and said, come see a man. Sometimes I think that we make evangelism too complicated. This simple woman, illiterate woman, because in those days not many women would have been educated, so she was probably an illiterate woman, no resources, no training, no tracks, no tent, no hall. But she went back to her people and gave them the message and the people came because she gave her testimony. Evangelism is really simple. You just have to tell people what God has done for you. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to have any money and any resources. Just go out and tell people what God has done for you. And that's all this woman did. She said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the reason he could tell her everything that she ever did was because he knew who she was. Not many people knew who she was. And those who knew her didn't want to know her. But Jesus knew who she was. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. <laughs> I like that. The disciples, they're sort of, they don't understand what's going on. You know, we've got food, Jesus, eat the food. Something of such significance is happening 
but they're just concentrating on the food. And we like that sometimes, aren't we? We miss the big picture. They went to town, Jesus must be hungry, come and have some food. But Jesus has got something more important. He's got a different priority. Let's look at the priority of the Messiah. This is what Jesus says. Verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, because someone have brought him food. <laughs> They're missing it, aren't they? Don't miss it. Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What's he say? Well, he explains what he says in verse 34. He says, my food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. His meat. What is his meat? What is his food? It is that which sustains him. Food meat sustains us, doesn't it? It gives us life. It provides nourishment for him. So for Jesus, to Jesus, his meat, that which sustained him, was to do the will of the Father. That's remarkable, isn't it? That was his priority. The disciples were concerned about feeding Jesus. Jesus was concerned about doing the will of the Father. What is your priority? Is that your priority? Is that your meat? Is that your food? Is that which sustains you? Is that what your priority is? To do the will of the Father and to complete his work. Jesus says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. So there's work to be done. Jesus says the fields are white to harvest. There's a harvest out there. There are people out there who do not know that Jesus has come to be their saviour. There are people out there living in ignorance. So Jesus says the fields are white to harvest. In other words, the harvest is ready. We don't have to wait for anything. Nothing else needs to happen. Jesus says it's time to go. Go out into the fields because the harvest is ready. Jesus says, My meat, my purpose is to do the will of the Father and to finish. His work. And notice he says to finish his work, <coughs> not my work. It's his work, not our work. And we must complete it. That's what we've been called to do. As I said earlier, we've been called to serve. There's work to be done. The Christian life isn't a life of ease. Christians aren't called to live and to relax and to sit on the sofa Christian life is an activity we are called to be active to go out into the world just as Jesus went into Samaria because he had a message and a ministry to perform so also we are sent out into Samaria into the world with a ministry and a message come see a man she says the presentation of the Messiah. She presents the Messiah to her people. He told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, 
They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Remarkable, isn't it? This Samaritan woman at the well, who nobody had any time for, became the first evangelist to Samaria. And we don't even know her name. Sometimes we may think that Philip was the first evangelist to Samaria. But this woman was. This woman with no name. Nondescript. Woman who had no, people that didn't have any time for. But God calls us all, doesn't he? Whoever we are. Whoever knows, who knows us, who doesn't know us. Whether we have a name, whether we don't have a name. God sends us out into the world. Because we have a mission and we have a message to proclaim. So be like the woman of Samaria. Receive the message and go out with the message. <coughs> it's a marvellous thing that God has called us to. Each one has a purpose. God has called each of us to a purpose. And each one needs to engage in that purpose. Because as each one does its part, so God's purposes are fulfilled in the world. Don't think, oh, I'm too small, I'm not educated, I don't know much, I can't do this, I can't do that. If God has called you, and he has called you, he will supply everything that you need. He will give you the ability that you need. And God has a purpose for each of us. So be engaged. Find out what God has called you to. And become engaged in that purpose. And that's where the true satisfaction lays. This dissatisfied woman. Who was dissatisfied with her life. And her husband's. And her partner. She went out with a purpose. And her life was transformed. This woman who had no purpose, who came to the well on her own because no one would come with her, all of a sudden became an evangelist. And the whole town came out with her because of what she said. She became a woman who had no significance to become a, a person of significance. And when you are engaged in God's purpose for your life, you become a per person of significance. So let's conclude. What have we found? Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was necessary. Because he was on a mission to Samaria. He had a message for the Samaritan people. The people of Samaria needed to both hear his message and receive his ministry. And he comes, he came to give the gift of God, living water, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The water that man supplies, this water can never satisfy. But whoever drinks the water, I give him. I give her, will never thirst. So receive that living water today. Jesus speaks of worship. And what is worship? The appropriate response to the revelation of God. Jesus says the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So we've seen 
Jesus' mission, his offer of living water, the call to worship, and now we have been introduced to the Messiah, the one chosen and appointed by God. The woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. He's here already. Messiah isn't coming. Messiah has come. And we need to go out with that message. He's not coming. He's coming again. But he's already come. So let's go out with that message. We've also seen the priority of the Messiah. He says, my food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So may that also be our priority. May we be able to say the same as Jesus. Our meat, our purpose, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And as we do that, we will be completed. We will be fulfilled. That is the key to fulfilment. Doing the will of the Father. So we, may we be committed to doing the will of the Father and completing the work to which he sent us. Amen.